0: Hello and welcome to episode eight of Of Poetry Podcasts with the poet and teacher, Laura Wetherington. Laura Wetherington is a U.S. poet based in the Netherlands. She has two books, Parallel Resting Places, chosen by Peter Gizzi for the 2020 New Measure Poetry Prize and a map, Predetermined and Chance Fence Books, selected by C.S. Giscombe for the National Poetry Series. Laura works as the poetry editor for Baobab Press and teaches creative writing at Amsterdam University College and through the International
1: Writers Collective. Hi, Laura. Hi, Han. Hi, everybody. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Something I wanted to do right off the bat is talk about your book's cover, and I'm holding a copy (laughs) of it right now. Yeah. Yeah. So it has, it's a collage by Ryan Donahue. Yeah. While tracing eternity. And my children loved this cover and kept wanting to talk to me about it, which is why I wanted to talk with you about it. I'm Um, so excited. And your relationship to it and how you Mm. chose it. Mm. Um, And you might want to describe it for other things too.
1: Hmm. Yeah, Um, well, so thank you for asking that question, because um, my relationship to the cover, I think, is mostly a relationship to Ryan Donahue. So um, Ryan is now a lawyer. Congratulations, Ryan. Yay. Um, But when I knew him um, first, he was an undergrad at Sierra Nevada University. Um, where I was a teacher and we had a few classes together and he and he worked um, on the Sierra Nevada Review. So we worked together on the literary journal there. And um, at that school, we have like a cover art contest for the journal. And he was really excited to, to enter into it and showed us his collages and we were so excited, except that if you work on the review, you can't submit your work to the journal, you know, for the cover art contest, cause they are the judges, right? And of course we would <laughs> love his work and choose him and love him. So um, anyway, this is how I first became familiar with his work. And at that time, which was, oh my gosh, I don't even know. But like very many years ago, I was like, when I have my second book, will you do the cover? And he was like, yes, of course. And then like three weeks later, he, I think he texted me or emailed me or something. It was like, are you ready? And I was like, oh no, no, I don't have a book. (laughs) Right. So like now, like seven years later, whatever (laughs) um, I contacted him and was like, can you um, do the cover for this book? Like, you know, show me stuff that you have, or like, is there new stuff that you're doing? And he was like, well, I'm a little busy with law school, but um, let me come up with some stuff. And I was like, oh no, you don't have to do something new, but he wanted to do that. So he read the book Um, with his partner, they like read it together. And then um, he came up with a bunch of different um, versions and then was like, I can splice things together. I can do something entirely new. So we had this kind of like back and forth conversation. Um, Anyway, I just love his aesthetic and his, well, I mean, his brain in general, I should say, but like also in this kind of visual style this aesthetic that he has. Um, And so to explain it for folks, There's um, like an, um, I actually don't remember the name of the thing, I'm sorry. It's like a nebula. It's a nebula, but there—it's a specific it's a one. Specific one, yeah, yeah. I don't know that. <laughs> um, so I don't—I don't, I don't um, remember the like, yeah. But the 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 publisher actually was like, "Oh, I love the blah blah blah," and I was like, mm-hmm, "Me too." Um, so <laughs> anyway, but for for folks who have not seen the cover, it looks like a rainbow. Um, this nebula, and it's circular, so it looks like an eye. It looks like a a you know nebula. It looks like a rainbow. It takes up, you know. Um, seven eighths of the cover kind of. And then there's a kind of dark sky behind that. And then down in the, in the lower, you know, eighth, lower fifth of the, um, of the cover, there is a field in a kind of rust, orange and red. It looks like a field of wheat or something. And then to the right, there's a kind of also red, rusty rock with a person on it. Um, and that person has long hair, you can see the back of them, they're kind of crouched over, I don't know, a canvas or something. So they're drawing or they're writing and they're you know, barefooted and they've got like a little bandana kind of thing around their you know, head. Um, and so I don't know, it, it seemed like there was a kind of 70s aesthetic to this person um, and like barefooted, kind of hippie. And so I was like, okay, that could be me. <laughs> Um, There's the, yeah, I don't know. There were so many things about it. And the, you know, the rainbow, I thought like, oh, kind of queerness, but like also like um, intergalactic queerness or like, you know, I don't know. Um, And the title of the book is Parallel Resting Places. So I thought like space is a great way to think about um, imagining um, other universes. Um, yeah does such does, does that
0: oh my goodness yes that's so beautiful I loved hearing all of that mm. what a history and relationship and it's mm. I mean I didn't know if you were going to say I picked it off you know out of the image display or you know I didn't know mm. that you had a whole relationship with the artist I think it's incredible mm. and the idea of intergalactic queerness um, especially I mean, with the title Parallel Resting Places and when you're doing so much work in this book with um, versions and translations and mistranslations and thinking about the different places where more than one mind can touch through language. Mm. um, I think that just is incredible for for the cover as well. And thank you for describing it. That description was also beautiful. Um, The time, I think it really draws out... um, time and I don't know it doesn't make me think about multiverses or mm. um parallel time and and touching places with where people and histories touch mm. um mm. so thank you for that um I you know I'm I should ask my six-year-old I'm sure he'll be like it's a cat eye or something right exactly <laughs> yeah 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 um but but he always um he's a He's a connoisseur of poetry. He likes telling me that's what he really likes to do when he likes Mm -hmm. a um, cover. And he hasn't reacted this strongly to a cover since dana levin's uh banana palace which he's also mm-hmm. a very big fan of <laughs> mm-hmm. We're great. i'm so glad <laughs> yes <laughs> yes i know it always gives us something to talk about um yeah. because i leave my books all over the house and and they'll pick them up and read them and mm-hmm. um and if there's a cover that will grab them they're especially likely to pick up um so yes poetry everywhere
1: yeah it's great <laughs>
0: um, now that i've brought up um the idea of imitations and mistranslations and versions. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like a really good time to raise the question or, or just to talk about your engagement with after poems, as you call them in, this, in parallel resting places, which is different than most people use after poems. Mm. Um, How do, can we pause there? How do other yes. people use them? <sighs> it's this whole thing and I'm a little anti after poem. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) ah so the after poem is um the idea that you're going to honor another poet by writing a poem inspired usually specifically by one of their poems Mm -hmm. and so you have someone else's poem in mind Mm
1: -hmm. and then
0: you lift either the grammatical structure Mm -hmm. or or typically that's I think that's what really gets me is when it's like Lifting the grammatical structure kind of invisibly, like you kind of take that um, frame and you put your own words in it. It can just Mm -hmm. get complicated in terms of who the poet is, you know, in terms of differences in power and position and gender and and all these other things. Mm -hmm. Who's Mm -hmm. taking home? And yeah, so, Mm -hmm. I mean, and I'm guilty of being a teacher who has told their students like, oh, you know, if you're inspired by someone just put after Carl Phillips there, um, without thinking, you know, what, what does Carl Phillips think about that? Like, do you need permission mm. for that? Do you need consent? Mm. Um, and so now I, I'm not as keen on after poems, it's
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: mm-hmm. because I think they it, it need to be done carefully and considerately. And I would not tell like an introduction, creative writing student, which is what I often teach. Um, mm-hmm. oh don't worry you can use anything you want like I would not say that now
1: um,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: does that inform how you use the words yeah so that's I mean that yeah I, I hope I hope this didn't feel like a setup because I think that's like exactly <laughs> what I did in fact I mean I so I think of this book as a practice in failure on mm-hmm. really so many levels and um I want to embrace that. So I don't mean that to be entirely kind of negative, but I think, what I mean, what, probably one of the ways in which it is a failure is that I wanted it to be um, a kind of set of imitations or homages to these various French writers, some of whom are in English translation. Um, and I may have read, you know, that like, yeah, once it got, toward the end of this 10 year period, you know, I read Venus Corrigata's like entire um, book and then wrote a single poem in response to the English, right? But like in, initially I was like, Jean-Marie Blaise, I'm just going to read this very dense, like I'm going to learn French from reading, you know, this thing that I can't understand. Um, and then I would try to respond or imitate it. But, but yeah, I think my French was in the way in a, in a lot of ways. And so it was like probably less respectful even than the thing that you were telling your students right so like I started to have this kind of like complicated feeling about how to um, read through the text of like when I know that I can't even fully get it but also in a way it feels like that is my position in the world or like that's my you know if I knew philosophy I'd tell you who the philosopher is that I follow, but like, that's kind of my philosophy of like being in the world that I don't think that we can fully understand, um, one another. Um, all we can do is continue to reach out and try. And so I think, yeah. So I think mm-hmm. I, w- I was actually doing that, that thing. No, I
0: love, I'm thank you so much for that. Um, I do think there's a difference whether you're borrowing from another English language or another poet writing in your language or whether you're moving across languages, because I mean, when I think Mm -hmm. about the work of translators, like translators aren't, I mean, I guess you could think about them as doing after
1: poems in a way. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: But there's also, you know, and, and again, like, you know, thinking about how a, um, how a translator respects the original poem, but also how it's a new poem, and thinking about that relationship and entanglement, and you know, mm. we don't do things without each other, and failure is an absolute intrinsic part to just being in human community. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm absolutely open to that. Um, but yeah,
1: I, yeah, I mean, I, I. Um want to be mindful that we're in a podcast now and not just having a conversation about poetry. But I also, like, maybe it makes sense to to pause here a minute and talk about this some more because I'm wondering, like, if I did take a Carl Phillips poem and copy the grammatical structure because something in what he wrote I loved so much, Mm. like, is it better not to give credit at all? right, to say, like, here is the scaffolding behind, or what was, in, you know, that this was a kind of inspiration, or like, I, I guess I don't fully understand why one wouldn't do that. I, I, yeah, but but then I have the same feeling, really, about this book, right, that like, <laughs> you know, I could um, send it to these folks, and they would be like, I, not only do I not know what you're doing here, or why you've my name here but like i wish you hadn't um and in that you know i didn't write them first to get permission um so i yeah Mm -hmm. are all the poets
0: that you cite in parallel resting places living no
1: no no i haven't read through the book recently um definitely the people that i was yeah writing poems after are not all living yeah no because
0: you know along with language i think living matters um, as well. I think position of power matters. Um, I'm less in some ways, I'm less worried about a student saying, since we're using Phillips, who's, you know, has that beautiful um, idiosyncratic syntax, who's like Mm. very recognizable on the page. I'm Mm. less worried about a student imitating Carl Phillips than I am them going to an online lit mag pulling someone's poem who they don't know, who they're not in relationship to. Mm. And who knows what that person's, you know, position, you know, because your work, that is your work. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think about in grad school, when my, um, during my MFA, we would write response poems. And, yeah. then, and the idea was like, you write as close to the style of the poet you're imitating as possible. And it was never, it was never in the air that we were, we would publish those poems. They were just exercises. So you let yourself play and have exercises. And like, I could write a Jeffrey Hill imitation perfectly. And you learn so much doing that, but I would never publish that because it was so obviously a shadow of Jeffrey Hill, you know?
1: Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. So it's like how closely you adhere kind of, yeah, yeah, okay, hmm so, yeah, I, I, oh no, please go ahead. Well, just to say that I do think that what you're saying about relation is really important, like what is, um, like literally, when you're talking about living poems, what is literally your relationship with the person? <laughs> but also, um, what, is you, what is your relationship with the work? Like, are you just choosing something willy-nilly or is there some kind of felt connection?
0: yeah because as i was thinking about this question um my poet teacher jennifer atkinson would talk about writing a poem as you know there's like the organic matter of all past poems and your poem grows Mm. out of that decom Mm. you know decomposing organic matter and i love that Mm. but there's also death in that right like there are things dying and decomposing and that's what Mm-hmm. new work is growing out of which is really
1: is, interesting is that your own work decomposing or is that like everything you've ever read
0: yeah I think it's more like the things that you've read mm. um because mm. yeah, I think it, about Banu Kapil right yeah <laughs> yeah I know and when you're doing collaborative work and when you're doing work mm. that incorporates a number of voices I mean citizen mm. so I I you know, I, mm. sometimes I feel like all I did when I went to graduate school and I need to actually like learn this lesson more so that it's on my lips more often, but is that the most ready response I have to a question is usually, well, it depends sure. or if that's complicated. Or, sure. <laughs> but there yeah. are things I do feel like, um, well, and someone wrote an after poem of one of my poems and oh. um, I was really uncomfortable with it. And I had a really hard time telling them I was uncomfortable with it yeah. um, because we were different people and we had different relationships to gender. And mm. and my poem was about gender. And so when they took it and flipped genders and did things, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. you know, so I, yeah. I am speaking out of my own experience that way. Sure. Um, and asking permission, I think, is is good if you can. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. And, I, you know, you can't write without other people and other people's poems. And I think it's incredible when you read a collection of poems and you immediately go and write something in response because you're so fired up. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. wonderful. And I always think of those as gift poems, like a book gave you a gift poem. Sure. Um, or let you see something or think about something in a new way and it unlocked yeah. some language for you.
1: Yeah.
0: But. Yeah. So you have, um, you note in your afterword to parallel Mm. resting places. Rather than go through the looking glass, this book reaches through the mirror and pulls the source text to me. The center is here, this queer body, this mind reading. And I was thinking about how the ventriloquy in your book reminds me a little bit of a seance um, that you invoke French poets and Mm the medium's body is speaking in the poem, but there are Mm -hmm. other voices coming through. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you could talk some about your writing process. You know,
1: we've already gotten into a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think um, it varied so much. I mean, if so if, so I should say, I started writing these particular kind of after poems through the French in like 2009. Um, So before even the, the first book came out. Um, and, um, oh, and and some of those poems are in the first book, actually. So there's a kind of connection there. There's a little bit of a through line there. Um, and so the, the process really shifted over time because I did this, you know, among other things. I did this for, you know, 10, 10 years or something. Um, and what I would do in the beginning was to, I had an anthology, um, called PS, uh, Detaché. I had gotten it from the library. <laughs> um, so I was like, now I'm just going to like translate a poem a day. This was my ambitious summer project, like a poem a day. I'm just going to p- translate a poem a day. Um, and that's how I'm going to keep up with my French. Cause I, you know, I lived in France for a, like school year. Um, and I thought I'm, you know, I'm going to end up back there. And so I'm just going to figure out how to keep up with it in the meantime. And then life happened. Right. You know how that goes, but, um, it, so I would read the poem like really quickly, kind of over and over and then try and just write it without looking at it again. But inevitably, uh, I was real bossy with that poem. I can, I could never quite get, uh, I also, I think I didn't have a French dictionary with <laughs> very close by in that time in my life. And I should have gotten one of those from the library, but I, you know, I, so I, I was ill-equipped on many levels to really do this and, and over ambitious, overly ambitious to try and like write a poem a day. So I ended up just kind of writing poems that were not translations at all. And then I liked what I was writing. And so I would continue trying to do that. And so like, you know, uh, I mean the word in French for white is blanc, right? Like I would see this B L A N C and then I would write blank, right? And then and then I would revise it and it would turn into a blanket. So things would just really kind of shift and move and stuff. Um, and yeah, that and then I you know and then I came across um, the oh, what is the name of that book? Um, the Ghetto of the Loans, which is like freaking amazing. It's like hieroglyphic, um, homophonic poetry. Uh, it came out from Ugly Duckling plus another press, which I'm not remembering. Anyway, they collaborated on it and it's um, a translation. So, so there's the the images and then I think the, french and then the english i think that that's what's in the, anyway i came across this book in the library and was like oh my gosh i've been doing this all entirely wrong right and i started to like study a little bit more homophonic translations right which which then is like sukoski and Catullus and like those kinds of things and i saw um yeah i don't know anyway i just started like reading around a little bit more and i realized that other people had actual like procedures right so i was <laughs> i was thinking about um Jackson Maclow has a thing called French sonnets. And these are more like in plus seven, but he would go into the French dictionary and find the, you know, and then count down to the other, you know, seventh word or something and then translate that back. And so he was like moving, I think Shakespeare um, into English, but like using the French dictionary. So anyway, like I was thinking about procedures. I was thinking about how um, maybe what I should have done is, take notes for every single poem so that I knew what I had done, but it was just a mess at that point, right? So um, I I can't say that there's one single thing that I did to write any of these poems, but a lot of them were like free associations. A lot of them would go through heavy revisions and thinking about pulling through the mirror, um, I think actually goes back to this kind of after idea. Like I, at some point I thought this, this treatment of the original text is not only like unfaithful whatever that means in terms of translation but it's also in some ways kind of violent and i think that I when, I when i first started writing the poems i thought what i wanted to do was translate like queer writers who were in my age group right like feminist queer writers like in their at that time 30s Um, And I just could never find the the people. I didn't know who they were or where they were. Like who are the people who are also unpublished like me? (laughs) How do you find those people? So without going to France, um, which I never ended up doing. So then, um, and then I started to like read more male authors and translate them in this very kind of um, queering way, let's say, but I realized later, like I, you know, I, I think that that's, there's a violence in that. And I don't know that I can justify it through my gender or through my queerness. I mean, that's really like white feminism if we're gonna think about it, And <laughs> right? I mean, I'm, I'm using shorthand here, but I think to be, uh, I, I think that's more um, complicated, yeah. So to come back to yeah. what you said earlier, it depends.
0: Yeah, it does. It does. Oh, and I, I was just working on an essay um, that deals with, uh, among other, among other things, the language of mastery and mistresship. And uh, mistresship is just the gendered corollary to master. Oh, it's not. Okay. It's not under master. It's the same relationship to say enslaved as master is, mm-hmm. um, and just thinking about how um white feminism you know often doesn't reckon with its colonial power and Mm -hmm. i mean that i think that bringing that up in our own minds as we work all the time is just something you have to do um -hmm. i realize we just I just kind of charged into questions too, because I was so excited about things in the cover. And so I think I wanted to do the cover before asking you to read a poem, but I Mm. haven't had you read a poem yet. Mm. Is there an an after poem that you would like to read? Mm. Yeah,
1: yes. Um, I would like to read one of my poems but I also I mean I've been thinking about um at listening to your podcast and listening to how um generous um yeah you you are with having people read how I am here in the Netherlands I've been living here since 2017 and one of my goals right is to like do do better this time right (laughs) to understand who the um writers are here and I I really don't know Dutch well enough to be able to um, translate that either. But I have been reading some Dutch poetry in translation and could I actually start with someone else's poem? Oh, i love that. Okay. Um, So, um, Mustafa Stitu is um, a quite accomplished poet. I mean, I think he's been writing probably 20, 20 years or something, but like last year, his first book was translated into English and it's a selection from like a lot of his prior books. It was translated by David Colmer who um, lives here, lives in Amsterdam and is Australian. Um, so I'll just re- I'll read the poem Clerks by Mustafa Stitu translated by David Colmer. The Roman Catholic church intends to do away with limbo I read in the newspaper. The section of limbo that accommodates the souls of stillborn babies and unbaptized infants. An alighting crow reminds me of the remains found up the street. Lower body, tattoos included, fairly intact. Upper body, unidentifiable. Head and chest, deep black and riddled with maggots, high on cocaine. Of all birds, it's mainly crows that make me feel there is another creature, most probably a human, trapped inside a bird. Another part of limbo accommodates virtuous but unbaptized fellows like Moses and Plato, Homer and Abraham. It is not in the sense of reincarnation that I believe that another creature, most probably a human, is trapped inside a bird. It's not some pet theory of mine but a feeling in the face of which I am defenseless. It's to negate the competitive advantage of Islam, particularly in Africa, where infant mortality is high, according to Islam, dead children go straight to heaven, that the church wants to abolish limbo. I toss the crow a grape, other crows descend, and in no time I am surrounded by crows scoffing grapes. By people trapped in crows scoffing grapes, clerks of the early to mid 20th century.
0: Oh wow, that was fantastic. Thank you. Um, now I feel just beautifully set up because um, I had a question about the first section of parallel resting places, mm. which is subtitle, the, the title of it is no more nature poems. Mm. And then there's an asterisk by poems that leads to the note bird poems. Mm. And in, you include the epigraph by Mary Oliver, a poem should always have birds in it. Mm. And this had me thinking a lot about queerness, nature poems, birds, um, I was thinking about your poem, Dear Hannah, from mm. Parallel Resting Places. I also admit I'm thinking about Tommy Pico's book, Nature Poem, mm. and Ariel Greenberg's I Live in the Country and Other Dirty Poems, mm. in relation to your No More Nature Poems subtitle mm. and as collections that push back against stereotypes of nature and country. And then here you read a poem, right, that, mm-hmm. that has birds uh, so centrally in it, mm-hmm. so I think that's That's phenomenal. But however you would like to answer this rather baggy monster of a question.
1: I have like a hundred different answers in my mind. (laughs) So let me see if I can stitch them together into a single cohesive response. I mean, the first thing to say is that I think uh, in my experience in the MFA program or maybe just in a kind of institutional uh, creative writing space, I hear a rumor of like words that should be on a forbidden list or maybe on Twitter, right? Like when we say on Twitter, you hear people say like, stop writing moon poems or like stop writing bird poems or like, you know, um, and I feel when I, coming back to Twitter, I feel like whenever I see people argue about what a poem should be or what a poem is, I think, um, I don't even understand that conversation. I really don't even know why people are arguing because um, I think a po- like poetry as a, as a field can encompass uh, everything that is spoken or written. Uh, meaningless or rooted in our current moment. You know, I mean, all, for me, all of these things are permissible, right? Like the poem is the, is the thing that you write in order to get you to the next day, or the thing that you read in order to get you to the next day, and that's gonna be a different thing for the same person on different days, much less, right, like different things for different people. So um, I think in some ways I'm saying like, yeah, no more bird poems. for that reason right like I'm kind of making fun of myself because the bird has a lot of I mean the book has a lot of birds in it um sorry it's like the the book is a bird you saw you heard that in the last sentence maybe that's the first thing to say um is that enough or do you have a (laughs) follow-up no that's that's
0: fantastic um you know you're so generous and what you say about um, the conversations about, you know, know this, know that um, I think is absolutely right on. Um, I do say, I I think the pro bird crowd and pro moon crowd will just win out. I
1: think they're louder, frankly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I, I mean, I also think that those folks would probably maybe hate this book a little bit on some level, right? Because it's not really about birds and moons. It just names them all the time. Oh in this kind of glossing you know uh, yeah very obvious I way I
0: think they'll love it everyone should get parallel resting places I literally was reading this book in the bath which by the way is the mm. most treasured place I will read a book is in the bubble bath if a book has mm. to go there it's very mm. <laughs> it's a lucky book mm. and I'm a lucky reader mm. um, but I was literally reading it in the bath and unfortunately I brought my phone with me which I often do and um, I was tweeting about it and I was also texting it to um Tom Snarsky who Mm. loves Francophone poets and I just knew Mm. he was going to adore your um your book and he he recently had his debut full length come Mm -hmm. out from Ornithopter Press Light Up Swan which is incredible Mm -hmm. and I just I saw you two in so much good conversation whether you knew it or not and so um Mm, thank you yes so I, I do feel like all the bird people and all the moon people should definitely, yeah. <laughs> definitely get to, yeah. get your book. Um, cause there's so much in it. It's so capacious, but I think there's something about Pico's nature poem and Ariel Greenberg's book that in the back of my mind, that there's something kind of, uh, very self self-aware and, mm. you know, humorously critical in a way, um, mm. And, but mostly I feel like you just, you let so much in. And I loved hearing you talk about the word blank to blank to blanket. And it reminds me of homophonic translations, right? You can sit down with a language you don't know if it's in letters you can read and you can sound it out. And then yeah. you can write your own translate. I love that kind of work. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't, make, I didn't mean to make it sound like I'm such a like a witch about after poems or something. Like I'm against them. It's just a very no. certain, and of course, it comes from my own experience. But it's it's, it's a very certain kind of. Um, I just you know I think being careful with our language and and thinking about ethics and language, um, and knowing that we're going to make mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes, um, mm-hmm. and that you learn. I mean something I tell my children is you don't actually learn when you succeed at, at things. You learn when you fail at things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, it's the, you know, piano piece you're learning that you make tons of mistakes on that you work harder and you learn It's Hopefully it's the uh, math problem you got wrong. So you go back and really look at it that you yeah. learn from. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I like That's- that. Yeah. And I, I mean, and I don't mean to sound like a, a witch. <laughs> but, well, maybe we you know, should be okay being witches. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really not a witch, but like, I, I, you know, may, maybe more Quaker than anything, but like, I don't mean to sound um, like I'm poo-pooing people who want to have lengthy discussions about mm. what a poem is or can be, you mm. know? I mean, I think I love that conversation actually. I just don't want to I just, I just keep waiting for somebody to be like, oh yes. And right. Like I want it to be an improv kind of conversation. And I just mm-hmm. see people kind of being like, no, this and no that. And I'm like, why can't you both yeah. have it? Right? Yes, I mean,
0: yes, there's room, there's room.
1: Absolutely.
0: And I think to the best of our abilities, being a pragmatist, you never saying no to any tool or um, any language. I mm. um, mm. you know, I was just, just talking with um, Jessica Stark about this and did that mm. when you see something that you thought was impossible to do done in poetry, it's one of the most exciting things. yeah um, because poetry is acrobatic in a way that all the other verbal, you know all the other forms of text that we encounter are, are often not geared towards play or often not geared yeah. towards, Acrobatics, you know, are trying to walk a very certain way and do certain things and be very instrumental and, um, you know, care a lot less about the intrinsic beauty and fun of language. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, mm-hmm. Well, so I mean, yeah, the engines of beauty and fun of language, yeah, for sure. And that, and that, and that makes me think of this question um, that has been burning in my mind for probably a year. And so I'm gonna ask it now, (laughs) do it to you, because I saw that your dissertation was about collaboration. And I think especially hearing you say this thing that you said about after poems, which I thought wasn't about um, not trying to commune with other people and other people's poems, but really to be like ethical and relational about it, right? To be like careful about about how we do it so, so you wrote a dissertation, you did your PhD, you wrote a dissertation about like medieval um, women collaborating. Is that right? Yes. That's the first question.
0: Yes. It's um, more early modern. So 15th, you know, I think the earliest I go is um, 1590, I want to say.
1: So It's like late 16th, 17th century. Okay. Can you, say something about how that study has influenced your own practice of writing? I mean, if it has, right? Like, I because I keep waiting to see like, where are your collaborations and maybe I just haven't seen mm-hmm. them yet? Or like, how does collaboration fit into your practice? That's a great question. <laughs> Thank you for it.
0: Um, so you know how you have to have like your dissertation you're supposed to have like a sentence you can say it in a few words um and mine is you know 17th century women wrote with and for each other Mm -hmm. and um you know whether that was oh someone you know most of the time they were well not all of them not amelia lanyard amelia lanyard had ties to court Her, her husband was a court musician um but she was very much like a, you know, she tried to run a school and very much working class um, Hmm. English poet, but and she's famous for um, writing a gospel entirely figured with women. Um, Hmm. She thought the disciples had failed Christ. So women were the true leaders of the church now. And um, you know, incredible. Her work is, is pretty amazing. Um, But so if someone had an estate and they invited a, another writer who's a woman to their estate to have a place to write, um, I see that as a form of collaboration. Oh. Um, there I I tended to write more my professors are like, oh, this is really interesting what you're doing with the word collaboration, <laughs> because it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't necessarily like people, you know, writing back and forth or on the same page or um, mm. It was with, when it came to Mary Sidney Herbert and Philip Sidney, because they did um, translations of the Psalms together. Mm. And um, mm. in my dissertation, I specifically looked at the Psalms of his, that she revised in a very collaborative way, how she did those revisions mm-hmm. um, and he was dead. Right. Um, so that, you know, so I looked at their, their kind of collaborations. I thought about revision as collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I looked at, um, Catherine Phillips, who was all about the idea of retreat. And so, hmm. you know, writing poetry in retreat where she would invite people to come with her and she, she would form, you know, write about retreats in her, in her poetry. Hmm. Um, and then Amelia Lanyard, And then Mary Lady Chudley, who wrote a dialogue poem in response to um, a really misogynistic sermon. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she, I saw that as a form of collaboration to respond to -hmm. someone else. And so it's, it's about relationship, like the relationships are intrinsic to the poems being written. There's no Mm -hmm. writing without responding to someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not that they were on the same page, but I mean, even when you think about the fact that reading silently is a fairly modern um, technique, like that women would sit and they would read out loud in the kitchens together. So it was even collaborative reading, like that they would sit there together. So yeah, so it's, Uh. you know, you, you didn't really have things apart. You didn't have silent reading. Like that was a weird Modern thing that came on. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: So I, yeah, that I was so fascinated by that. And it was so against, I mean, it's so against the narrative, the kind of pernicious narrative that comes up over and over again that women didn't write in medieval times or women didn't write Mm -hmm. in the early modern period. But the fact that they wrote and read together and they did all Mm -hmm. kinds of things, you know, someone kept a 600 page devotional, um, Journal, you know, or eight hundred page. That was mm-hmm. that's being transcribed mm-hmm. right now by someone. Um, yeah, I hope
1: that kind of answers your question. It does. I mean, it does, and I think. Um, yeah, I think it definitely clarifies the the collaboration thing because I was thinking like, oh, it's you know writing together on the same page. But maybe, that, maybe then I wanna shift the question. I mean, maybe this podcast is the answer, right? But maybe then I wanna shift the question and say, like, you know, do, did the work that that study that you did, um, was it in some way related to your own writing life as a poet? Is it? It was,
0: it was I do think it was inspiring for my writing, but it was also really inspiring for me to be in community with Mm. other people. And so like when I, um, when my friend Jessica Stark asked me to help with the Little Corner um, Poetry Reading Series here in Durham, and we did that together. We invited, we did a a reading series called Excess Women and we had, Mm. um, you know, uh, women come and do readings. We invited some out of town people um, Dorothy Lasky and um Rachel Zucker and then we also invited local poets and um I mean it it makes me think about collaborative spaces a lot and creating space for others whenever you're Mm -hmm. privileged like you can do that um so that is something I'm very very much on board with and I I don't do collaborative writing I tend to do be like a loner when it comes to my writing (laughs) but when it comes to um you know, thinking about spaces that you can open for others. That's that's very exciting for me. Yeah. Um and like this podcast began because I just really desperately wanted to sit down with Jessica Cuello and mm. talk with her and hear her poems and um so I did. I got her here. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I guess we have a podcast now.
1: Oh, I love um, it. Yeah. So
0: and we stayed, we stayed together in a cabin in the Adirondack So you know we got to. Oh,
1: so of course, um, of course. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. 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 So that's space. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks for that answer.
0: Yeah.
1: and can we can we pause for just a second? I want to um, turn the lights on in here and maybe yes, plug in the darkness computer. is falling on you. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I'll be right back. Just a moment.
0: Sure. So that was a really interesting question about collaboration, and it it leads into a question I have for you, which. is, um, you know talking about Twitter I hear a lot of criticisms that the American poetry scene is self-focused mm. um, and this is from people often writers outside the United States mm. and I have a, you know I have multiple responses to that and I mean it, again it, it's kind of the idea of yes and um, and I'm wondering your thoughts on this as a poet who lives outside the United States mm-hmm. and it related to that question, I was wondering what is the poetry community you are most tied to
1: hmm. and how do you keep up with the folks you want to keep up with? Oh, dang. <laughs> how many questions was that? It is three.
0: <laughs> I can ask them one at a time.
1: <laughs> well, okay. Well, let's, I'll, I'll have to check back with you to see what parts I'm missing, but like, maybe let's start with the um, U.S. being U.S. focused, I think that doesn't only pertain to poetry, (laughs) right? And the thing that you're saying about yes and, I mean, the the defense that I would give um, for that is that the United States is so large in terms of population. There's so much going on. You know, like if you are trying to be in conversation with people in the United States about U.S. poetry, um, already that, you know, that's a lot to keep up with. Um, and I think a lot of people are like really well read in multiple genres, right? So they're reading like all of the books that are coming out, right? And you know, in whatever their favorite presses are, or whoever their favorite authors are. And so that's yeah. So I can I can understand how that would be. Um, and I also think because the U.S. is such a huge like landmass, um, and the the language that people primarily speak there is English um I can also understand how the fact of translation is a kind of barrier for you know like understanding um works in the original language or something um but yeah I mean I definitely I definitely think that there you know there's stuff happening in Australia or in the UK or right like that when I was in the United States I could have been tuned into more but from from it was kind of like the same question that I had about France, right? Like how do I find the like very small published, you know, queer poets in their 30s? And I think now the answer to that is probably Twitter, but like, you know, <laughs> back when I was, yeah, back when I had the, the question I, I couldn't I couldn't quite answer it. Um, so, is the US US focused? Yes there's that first answer and then you were talking about like now that you live in the Netherlands how are you connected to a you know what's the poetry community you want to be connected to and how are you um I don't even know how to answer that and I don't know how to answer it I mean I think oh gosh and then and then I think how honest do I want Because we're in a pandemic, you know, and I have a toddler, and the daycare was closed for so much of the time, and I don't speak Dutch as well as I ought to, I mean, see toddler above. Um, So I think, you know, in some ways, I'm not really connected to a community here, even in terms of having friends. have a very small handful of friends and most of the poets that I know here um, are working in English or are conversant in English and don't live in this town where I am I don't live in Amsterdam I live in a smaller uh, you know less internationals wow whatever anyway I live in Eindhoven which is not um, very close to Amsterdam and uh yeah I mean so the way that I connect with people is not—I mean, it's through Zoom, right? Or it's through—I think with the pandemic, I've gone to more readings now um, than I had in the previous three years of living here, um, and think you know things in the UK and you know talks down in South Africa and right, like so, like I'm I'm able to be um, connected better now, but I think um, in terms of. Like a po- I don't know what poetry community means, really. I think that I have friends who are poets and many of them or writers and many of them don't really know one another. I don't have like a group of friends, right? Um, some of them know one another. So yeah, so I don't know how to say, I don't know how to answer that thing in terms of like people, right? Like seeing a face. In terms of books, you know, I buy as many books as I can a lot of them from the U.S. I'm not really reviewing any anymore, much anymore because of the toddler but also because in the Netherlands it's quite hard to get someone to send you a physical book and I just it just I can't do an arc online and review it I mean I could read a, I can read a book and assess it but I can't really like do the, the work and the study it's hard harder um, for some reason so that has kind of fallen to the wayside um, and instead, you know, I'm kind of, yeah, like too late, you know, I'm buying books from like 2018 to try and catch up from what was happening then. And, and, you know, and I just, oh my gosh. Oh, and I just saw the long list for the national book awards. And I was like, I don't know, like I have all these books on my TBR list, but I haven't bought any of them except Baba Baji's book, Go Baba. And like, I, yeah, so I think, you know, um, I don't really know how to keep up with community from a place where, you know, you buy a $20 book and then you pay $20 in shipping to get it. Right. Like it just slows the whole process down a lot. Wham um, wham Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I
0: think that's such a great answer. And I think that will be encouraging to a, a lot of listeners because um, so many of us kind of have to piece together, you know, a sense of community while working zoom and at home and with poor internet and children and you know everything um yeah so I think that's really helpful to hear I think for me um one of my greatest communities is um the other editors at eco theater review mm-hmm. because you know we have a group chat together and we talk a lot and you know the community happens in the Twitter DMS and the text messages and the silly petty stuff that you laugh about together. Like, mm. it's not like we're sitting down sharing each other's work and having long conversations. It's not that it's like, we're doing work together. And then we also like, like each other, you know, there's just, yeah. Um, so that's been really wonderful and just really sustaining for me um, and having that work. Centered me this last year because I stayed home with our children. Because someone, you can't just have a six year old do all online classes, like they can't upload their work, you know. So, doing that kind of like background work was so necessary. Um, I was just curious, really and truly, I was curious because I've never been to the Netherlands, and um, Mm. my spouse has, of course, and his family's Dutch, and um, so they do have family there, but um. You're I was come. just curious what that was like
1: for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, so, I mean, I think in some ways it's been like really um, it's been really lovely in terms of poetry because I I have met people here that I would have never you know, otherwise met. and like some of them are um, expats. Um, but then also, um, I feel like I'm I'm like understanding, well, so in okay here's one thing about poetry community. In Rotterdam, there's a festival that happens usually every June, it's like three or four days and it's called Poetry International Festival. And they bring folks from so many different countries and all of the work has been then, like they prep for whatever, because all of the work has been translated then into Dutch and English, right? And so they're bringing also people from the US and also people from, you know, um, wherever. The UK and they have like partner institutions right so the poetry foundation I think is the is the place that kind of seeds and sends folks to um, this festival from the US and so you have to also think when you're when you're looking at like oh this is Myanmar poetry it's like one you know in the same way that like whoever the poetry foundation might send is like one part of a larger scene or something like this is also like one part but like you I mean it's like phenomenal and the so many of the folks that they bring are not only like poets and and maybe young poets right like they have one book or something but like also performers and it's just i so this this has been kind of my ritual as long as i can do it i will go there for at least a day you know every every june um and this year because of the pandemic it was online so i you know paid my little ticket and then just kind of sat and in front of the tv for a few hours and wow. um yeah so that I mean speaking of international stuff I think that, that yeah. their web- website the poetry international.nl mm, mm-hmm. I think is a fantastic resource because all that stuff you can you know hear the the person read oftentimes in the original language and then you can see the translations and stuff
0: Oh, I love hearing about that. That was amazing to think about inviting people and then having their work translated and mm-hmm. accessibility. And wow, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. So it's so much work, like, yeah. but incredible. And um, I would mm-hmm. love, love to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it brings me to, well, first of all, I would Love for you to read one of your interstitial love letters. The queer writers. Oh.
1: Mm. Okay. If there's one you wanted to read. Yeah. It's gonna okay. So coming back to this idea of um community, uh, my friend Hannah, who is so dear. To my heart, I can't even express like Hannah. If you're listening, I love you so much. Like one of the best people in the whole world. (laughs) And so since you all have a kind of kinship in your name, I'm gonna read this one. Dear Hannah, when we move to the woods to start our free school, we'll take a big screen TV and some way of streaming ESPN because you know college football, and women's basketball. I've been hoarding extension cords just in case not all the buildings have power. Our school will have bu- buildings, right? Remember the guy from Portland, Maine who camped out in a crosswalk dressed as a tree? He's totally invited. How did he explain it? He wanted to understand how his performance would, quote, impact people's natural choreography, end quote. His tree performance is to nature poetry what the history channel is to history. I love it so much. But seriously, do you think he's read Cage's writings? When I tried to explain to my husband how I'm not heavily invested in nature poems, I said, I don't really need to gaze into a deer's eyes, you know? And he replied, what if it's a queer deer? And I've never loved a man more. He comes too love Laura thank you
0: I love that poem and I want to say it's in your chat book as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so when I first read it in your chat book um, and I was still going by Hannah when I when I saw that poem it like startled me to, like to see your name on the page I was like mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's an incredible poem and I love how it ends and I love the idea of queer deer and also queer deer just sounds amazing together
1: and maybe that should be a whole book right yeah I mean that was an actual thing that happened you know and I was like oh my husband is so funny and he also gets me and so then at some point I was like I wrote you into my book can I read you this poem and I read it to him and he was like I never said that like he doesn't even remember it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is why we're married. You don't yeah. even know this. <laughs> and this is why we
0: record that's I love poems that record things. Um, mm. and I think that's a really, really important and sometimes really dismissed ability of poems to record. Mm. Um, the idea that, well, if there's no emotion, it's simply a recording. Isn't that from somewhere? It's simply a I record. Don't know. But I see records of things, and I think they're so beautiful, like an inventory of someone's pantry, or something oh. that someone carried with them on a ship, or
1: and uh, I love those. Oh, yeah, huh. yeah. Huh.
0: <sighs> so, I also I often will fall in love. Though I do love a really good concept. Um, so, like I read a poem last night by Elaine Equi called. Mm. Wittgenstein's colors and it was Mm. all about it's just a list of colors Wittgenstein mentions and it's beautiful and I love it um huh yeah I don't know that one but I like her work I'm gonna look it up yeah yeah I'm very excited about that um I was wondering since usually I'm I've been making space to get to several poems across um an episode, and since you read a poem earlier and you've just read a poem, would you like to read another now? Do you feel prepared?
1: Yeah, I would love to. Yes, thank you. Awesome. I'm gonna read the um, title poem, Parallel Resting Places, and it's after Jean-Marie Glez. Like hunger, eating a thing. We can reproduce one thing nude. One word separated by periods. She denudes the image. She holds her hands. She gives a description of her hands. Nothing budges. In her hands, the beginning of a long story. Nude in her hands a connection to the spine. Nothing works by itself, not even nothing. She knows the rules. They're supposed to be if all sides, if equal. We geometrize one another. These are logical actions. The image commences outside itself, in her hands, etc nude in front of me and so on. The form of perfection is replaced by a person, or in another point, she is a little to the left or right of the inverse, like a backbone, framing the painting. We are held up in lovely by structure. She uncovers this holding is spoken Lively, all cells ringing. Each vertebrae moves in concert. Other portraits are concise depictions of others. Still others, the knowledge of rules gives a sharpness. Night invites the eye to make a geometric whole. an animal can know by its rivers. In place of reason, we have parallel resting places. Additions to this world make another. That is so beautiful. Thank you.
0: Thanks. This this whole conversation has just made me sit back and think about using words even more carefully even when i ask questions um Mm -hmm. i love how you responded to the idea of community and what even is that i mean i just i love that um and thinking about the kind of phrases that are easily on our tongues but are difficult in practice and different in practice and Mm -hmm. um and i think it's such a generous i think you just really turned me back towards
1: um, your own Mm. generosity. So thank you for that, Laura. Well, thanks, but I think it's also, well, thank you. But I think it's also maybe, The the fact of like not not being in a community right like like a physical local community of poets right now that makes me really kind of think about it and question it like I am assuming that in Durham there are a crap ton of people everywhere and you can like walk down the street and you run into somebody who's like oh let's talk about poetry right and so like community feels like a thing that you're kind of swimming in and I think um, I think that makes so much sense and I and I miss that I mean I you know. I miss my friends in Reno um, and the way that we would just like talk about writing or, you know, maybe even talk about what happened on Twitter, like someone to process this thing with. <laughs> but but um, yeah, I, yeah, I guess now I, I think about like, well, what does it mean? Does it mean books? Like is community reading someone's books? And if so, then shouldn't I write them and tell them how much I love their book mm-hmm. once I've read it? Even if I haven't met them, or is that just like weird? Um, or is it, you know, friends? Like these are, to me, these are two different things.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting to, for me. Well, right now, with the pandemic and with having unvaccinated children, um, I just have not been doing hardly any. I mean, once in a while, an in-person outdoor thing. Yeah. But I mean, everything really shut down and, um, Mm. and we just, you know, there are people who've gone to in-person church. We have not been those people, you know, we, we like, we, we've been pretty, um, serious about it. Um, but I also want to admit that like my anxiety function factors into it. And so I was like, I knew it was like more than I could mentally and physically take, um, worrying about them. So, Mm -hmm. Um, but there, you know, when I was postpartum with Anselm and Durham, I felt like there was no community in Durham. And I felt oh, like, because yeah. I was isolated and I projected that. And then once yeah. I really started writing again, mm-hmm. which was really, really, truly after Trump's election, when I realized
1: mm-hmm.
0: I would might perish if I didn't have an outlet um, to write Mm -hmm. then I started listening and suddenly there were reading series and house parties and things Mm -hmm. all over the place. And I just hadn't been listening for them. So it's really Mm -hmm. interesting. You know, like I said, like right now, everything's, you know, pretty shut down and you can do virtual events and online, which which is wonderful in terms of accessibility. And, um, I, I help, I help our local bookstore with their social media and, you know, zoom events is like one thing too many for them to handle on top of sure keeping up a new store during a pandemic so it just depends on you know who is the resources and time and stuff like that but yeah um it does change you know community does change and um really some of my closest people are online yeah and yeah um no one close i don't think yeah, none of my close, close friends are here anymore.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah, is. yeah, yeah. Definitely, cha- yeah. Community definitely changes. we sh- sh- Well, shoot. I mean, I feel, I feel really like seen now <laughs> when you say like oh after my postpartum i realized i was just projecting because i got on a whatsapp group recently with like a bunch of queer people in aintova and i realized like oh everyone's been out there hanging out this whole time and like where was i i was just like sitting in my living room with my toddler <laughs> so i th- so i think i mean i do think yeah that, that there is poetry stuff probably happening here um in my own defense, the language might be a barrier, but like, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I, you're helping me understand that, like, um, I'm probably protecting. <laughs> so yeah. I'll get it together.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, there's so many. I mean, there's lots, lots of hurdles and barriers. I think, and um, yeah, and some people have online writing groups. I was just curious, frankly, like practically. Yeah, um, what it looked like for you. So thank you for talking about that.
1: Well, okay. so speaking of like weird community connections, um, can I read another poem by another person? Yes. So, so there is a group on Facebook that shall remain unnamed because I can't talk about it in public. But in that group, I met a person. Um, who, li- I think actually, I think actually I was talking about the uh, Poetry International Festival there. And this person was like, oh, you know, and then we started talking and it turns out that we both live in the Netherlands, not in the same town. And we met for coffee and Mila Vanderhaaf was like, oh, I went to a writing retreat in um, Virginia City, which is in Nevada, like, 20 minutes away from my house where I had just like where I had just moved from and I was like what and she was like yes and this is my chapbook that I wrote while I was there about that place and so and and she's a phenomenal writer I keep waiting for her book to come out right any any book. she also writes novels and you know she writes a lot of stuff but like um, anyway so I would like to write I mean uh, read a poem by Mila Vanderhaaf about Virginia City Nevada <laughs> this like very Dutch person, who coincidentally was Amazing. there for a month. Can I read "Cry of the Coyotes"? Please. It used to be out there, a long drawn winding thought, a crackle of the wild calling home to us. We waited for it. Your hands signposts against the matted glass, and suddenly. We were plain human amidst those idle laughs and the way worn pact they brought. Wow, talk about entanglement
0: and uh, yeah, parallel resting places.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, thank you.
0: Yes, thank you. Well, this seems like a perfect time to close. Mm, yeah oh
1: thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, yes. Han, for put Han for putting this on. Absolutely. Um, reaching out to all these folks, and I'm really looking forward to, um, yeah, seeing where this takes off to.
0: Thank you, thank you for joining me, and thanks for everyone listening to of Poetry Podcast. Find links to more of Laura Wetherington's work and a purchase link for her new book, Parallel Resting Places, in the show notes. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the
1: show if you'd like what you hear. Thank you, writers and readers.